Turn to your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 16 within God's Word. Mark chapter 16, if you need uh, the outline to the message and like to fill in the blanks as we go along, just lift up your hand this morning if you don't have a sermon study guide, and we'll make sure that you get those. Amen. A son, a son told his mother, I'm not going to church. She said, Why aren't you going to church? It's Sunday morning, and you need to be there. He said, I don't like the people, and they don't like me. I'm not going to church. She said, you don't have any excuse whatsoever for not going to church. I'm here to tell you that you need to go to church. He said, you give me one good reason why I should go to church. She said, I won't give you one reason. I'll give you three reasons why you need to go to church. Number one, you're my son and I'm your mother and you need to get dressed and get going to church. Number two, you're 40 years of age and you need to be in church. Number three, you're the pastor of that church and they're counting on you preaching this morning. Now get going to church. Excuses. Excuses. Ever wonder what kind of excuse Jonah gave God? Most people know the story of Jonah. Even non-Christians know the story of Jonah. God put a call upon Jonah's life to proclaim the gospel, his word, to ask for the people of Nineveh to repent. Jonah, instead of heeding God's call on his life, went in the opposite direction and ran from the call of God. We see this in Jonah chapter 1. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for where? Tarshish or modern day Spain. Nineveh, you would locate today in modern day Iraq. Nineveh, the capital city of the ancient Assyrian Empire. And the Israelites hated the Assyrians, the Ninevites. So, literally, Jonah went on a cruise ship and headed for Spain. And he said, the beaches of Spain is what I need, not Nineveh. God sent, some say, a whale. The Bible says a great fish that swallowed him for three whole days. He was in the belly of that fish. And after being stained, completely bleached white through the stomach acids of that whale or great fish, he was spat out of the belly. After he repented, he preached, bleached white, out of that belly to Nineveh, and it's no wonder, the Bible says, they repented. After this ghost-like figure said, repent, and they repented. They repented. The greatest revival in the Bible, the greatest turning from sin to God, is right here in Jonah, 
the revival that took place in Nineveh. Excuses. I wonder what excuse Jonah used with God as he rejected God's call upon his life to speak good news, to speak salvation to a lost world. Sad to say, tragically, Jonah's, Jonah's still come to church. Jonah's sit in the pew. Jonah's are all around us. Men and women, boys and girls uh, that have excuses. They might not say, why Nineveh? But they're saying, why missions? Why be a witness? Why be a soul winner? Why be involved in world outreach? Yet despite the modern day excuses, despite the modern day Jonas that are all around us today, Jesus has left us with an incredible legacy. We've been preaching on legacy. This is the last in that series. What incredible legacy did Jesus leave us before he ascended back into heaven? It's found in Mark chapter 16. Jesus said in verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone everywhere. God has given us, think of it, an awesome legacy. The legacy of being world Christians. World Christians. Why world Christians? Why world Christians? We're going to ask that question this morning and answer it. Why world Christians? Mark it down. Because our God is a great God whose great gospel is good news. Think of the powerful destiny that God has for your life and my life. The moment that you became a child of God, that moment you became a king's kid. You're not a pauper, you're a prince. You were not destined for the ordinary. You were never created for the common or the trivial. God has great plans, great visions. He has left you a great legacy. God has a powerful destiny for your life. You are called to be a world changer. You have been called to be a world shaker. You've been called to be a world Christian. Angels in heaven are itching to do this, but they can't. The prophets of ancient times looked forward to our day, but they could not. Only you that are born again in the shed blood of Jesus Christ have received this legacy to go into all the world and to form it and to shape it and fill it with the love of God in Christ Jesus to be world Christians. What message are we called to proclaim? We're called to proclaim the greatest message about the greatest person, about the greatest opportunity that the world has ever heard or received. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Think, think of how we share good news all the time. 
You've, you all are sharing good news all the time about children that have just been born or grandkids that have just come into this world. You share good news about their marriages. You share good news about their graduations. We share good news about the new car that we just purchased, the new job, the new promotion, the new bonus that we just got. We share good news about the new home that we just moved into. We share the good news about uh, the great deal we got at a restaurant or at a store. Uh, uh, Us guys share the good news about, you know, the deal we got on a gallon of gas. Where's the best place to buy gas right now? I go to Sam's Club. Okay, Costco. I don't like waiting the long line at Costco, even if it's a penny. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you girls, you girls who've made your husbands build a brand new walk-in closet for all the shoes that you buy. You're sharing good news all the time about the shoe deal that you got at DSW, aren't you? But would you agree with me? There is no good news like the gospel good news. The word gospel means good news. It's good news that your sins can be forgiven. It's good news that you and I can be made right with God. It's good news, hallelujah, that heaven, hallelujah, is just beyond this veil of tears. It's good news, hallelujah, that we can know that we know that we know that the best is yet to come. It's good news that there's a healer, there's a deliverer, our Prince of Peace, our loving Savior, who'll never leave us or forsake I'm talking about good news. And tell me his name. His name is Jesus. It's good news that Jesus died upon the cross to love you, to save you, and to save a lost world. Good news. But I remind you that when it comes to sharing this good news, Jesus did not give us a choice. He gave us a command. To be world Christians, proclaiming good news to everyone, everywhere. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Shelby Township, in Macomb County, in Michigan, in the United States of America, and to the ends of the earth. Yes. We haven't been called just to be isolated witnesses, but God is a big God, (laughs) and he is able to use you to reach the whole world. Yes, think of it. Our great God who spoke galaxies into being has no problem using you and I to impact the nations of this planet. Yes, he's not limited to just your office space. He's not limited just to Macomb County. He's able to reach the world through you and through I. The only thing God's limited by is our ability? No, our availability. Our availability. Are you standing in that place right now? You're saying, Jesus, use me. Don't refuse me. Here am I, Lord, send me. 
I'm willing to go wherever you will send me. I'm willing to do whatever you would have me do. I'm willing to say whatever words you place in my mouth. I want to be a world Christian. Secondly, why world Christians? Because our world is sick. I said, our world is sick. And they desperately need to know Jesus as their healer. How sick is our world? One in eight will go to bed tonight suffering from malnutrition. Almost half the world lives on less than $2 a day, which wouldn't even get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. 140 million people worldwide suffer from alcohol abuse. One half of all of those that go to the emergency room, alcohol abuse. One half of all suicides, murders related to alcohol uh, abuse. And the latest numbers from the CDC show the opioid epidemic has just reached startling, astonishing statistics. Our own president has announced on a national emergency, opioids, uh, 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 drug addiction with painkillers and heroin. Last year, last year, 2016, over 64,000 people died due to opioid addiction, a 21% increase over the year before. One in five pregnancies end up in what? Abortion. And here in the United States and other countries in Europe, what are we experiencing? What is this young generation growing up experiencing? In fact, the young generation, the millennials that are among us, know of no other times as what we are experiencing right now. Even you are becoming desensitized and your eyes glaze over and your ears become uh, deafened to uh, news report after news report after news report. Now they're coming each and every week practically. Another workplace shooting. Another school shooting. I don't know about you, sir or ma'am, but uh, when I grew up as a young adult, I don't remember hearing on the news of people going into the workplace and shooting their co-workers or their classmates at school or a Las Vegas shooting incident. Something is happening. I said something is happening. And we're becoming deafened and desensitized. To it as news report after news report. It's becoming commonplace. What's happening? Our world is becoming sicker and sicker as it's on a highway to hell. And there's a spirit of homicide that's been spawned in the very laboratories of hell that has our world in a grip. A grip of murder and violence. Where does this come from? Jesus said that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Do you realize that more live in slavery today than they did 150 years ago when the Civil War was fought? Are you aware of this? The majority of those that are in slavery are in the sex slavery business with millions, millions being little children. 
before this service is over, in addition to all I've shared, before this service is over, over 40,000 children around this planet will die of starvation because nobody cares. Jonah's excuses our lost world, our lost world reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember the story that Jesus gave of the prodigal son? Huh? You remember? He started off with Daddy-O and ended up with Oh, Daddy. Yeah. Yeah. The prodigal son, like so many have experienced, came to his parents and said, I want my inheritance now. I want what's coming to me now. I want the money now. And then I'm out of here. I'm out to some high living. I'm out to, to partying down. And Oh, he did. He, he partied down all right. And the party ended up sending him to where? The pig pen. The pig pen. In the pig pen, nobody told him about the stale, vile smells. Nobody told him about the addiction. Nobody told him how the pig pen ruins your life. Nobody told him how giving to self, uh, feeding self, ends up becoming a monster that destroys you. Nobody told him about the retching and the vomiting, and the low living, the subhuman living doing things that animals wouldn't even do that's in the pig pen. And so when you read about the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, this boy who leaves home, rebels from his dad, ends up in the pig pen feeding pigs, and nobody fed him. I've often thought that that boy in the pig pen is like our lost world. The politicians come walking by, and the politicians say, hey, uh, vote for me. Uh, I'll give you better working conditions in that pig pen. Uh, the psychologists walk by, uh, oh, just think good thoughts. I'm talking about positive thinking, and life will be better in the pig pen. Or the New Agers walk on by, you better be good to those pigs. You never know, one day you might be reincarnated and come back as one of them. But then Jesus comes walking by. I said, Jesus comes walking by. And what does Jesus do with a lost world in a pig pen? Here's my hand. Come on out of there. You were not destined for the pig pen. You were not birthed and born for the pig pen. Come with me. Let me change you and rearrange you. Let's go home to the Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what a world Christian does with a lost world. Amen. Amen. Why world Christians? The gospel is more than vocal proclamation. It's acts of loving demonstration. Write that down. Most people think when we talk about spreading the gospel, they think we're talking about more preachers and more preaching. This world's had more preacher, preachers and preaching than any other generation. Mark 14. Jesus is experiencing his last party before his death. 
A party in Mark 14 was held to honor Jesus for raising dead Lazarus from the tomb to resurrection life. Standing behind Jesus at this party is a woman. She's weeping. She's worshiping. She holds within her hand a jar of exquisite, expensive perfume. The Bible says this perfume is so exquisite and rare that it was more costly than a year's salary. How much do you make in a year? Hubby, what do you pay for perfume? Well, I just go to dollar store. I don't think she knows the difference. She does. She does. Bible says this perfume was worth more than a year's wage. And as she stood behind Jesus, and she's worshiping and adoring her Lord, she just did not pour a drop. That would have been customary. It was customary to put a drop of perfume upon the honored guest and anoint them with a drop. She doesn't put a drop. She does not pour a few. She pours the entire contents of the perfume upon him, even upon his feet. She takes her hair and, and bathes and, and, and wipes his feet and she worships him. It's an act of extravagant love. It's an act of a pure generosity that is extravagant, broken and poured out. And even when she pours the contents of the perfume, that is not enough. She breaks the bottle to make sure that every drop has been poured out upon her Jesus. How did the Jonas react among uh, her? How did the Jonas react in the pew? Pastor Jesus, that's wrong. Pastor Jesus, that perfume could have been sold and it's money given to the poor. And all the rest of the men chimed in. Who was it that led that attack? What was his name? Judas. It's the only time we hear from Judas or the first time we hear from Judas in the Gospels. And John later records Judas said that because he used to put his hand in the offering plate to steal the money that was collected for Jesus. Jesus would not have it. Jesus rebuked Judas and the rest of the disciples. And listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Mark 14, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you. Now, I want you to underline this. There's been a lot of confusion about this last line in this verse. Why did Jesus say this? Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached... Throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow, what was it that caught 
the attention of God. What was it that the woman did that touched the heart of our Lord? I'll tell you what it was. It was her extravagant uh, passion, her extravagant love. Anytime you go out beyond uh, that which is common, anytime you go out of the boat uh, to walk on water, anytime you go out beyond the normal generosity and be a radical, generous believer and Christian for the Lord, it catches the attention of God. The Lord is saying, I want you to be passionate in your worship. I want you to be extravagant in your generosity towards others and towards the work of the Lord. This catches my attention. This touches my heart. She broke the jar and poured the perfume out, and it caught the attention of God. What touches the heart of God? For God, what is extravagant, what is broken and poured out, when you love what the Lord loves. What, when you love what the Lord loves. What does the Lord love that you and I need to love? The Bible in the most familiar verse of the Bible. A lot of Christians can't quote anything from the Bible except one verse. And that one verse tells us what God loves. What does the Lord love? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You talk about extravagant giving. You talk about extravagant, generous Christians. Uh, there's no one like our Father. God so loved the world that He gave His very best. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. When you love what God loves, when you give towards what God loves, when you're generous about what God loves, when you, hallelujah, have a passion to love what God loves. You catch the attention of God. Her act was memorialized for all time in history because she was extravagant in her giving. Love, what is it? This extravagant love, how do you define it? We've said it so many times. Love is not what you say. Talk's cheap. Love's not what you feel. You remember, you've heard it so many times, uh, of the boy that came to me years ago. Pastor, Pastor Phil, <laughs> I'm in love. I said, how do you know you're in love? He says, well, every time around Susie, <laughs> I can't catch my breath. I said, that's asthma. That's not love. It's not real love. Real love. It's not words. It's not feelings or emotions. According to Matthew chapter 25, we discover what real love is. Matthew chapter 25 is a prophecy of what will happen on Judgment Day. What will happen on Judgment Day? What will Jesus say on Judgment Day? According to Matthew 25, will Jesus say this? I was hungry and you felt sorry for me. I was naked and you felt shame for me. I was in prison and you were embarrassed for me. I was sick and you were sympathetic to me. Did Jesus say that? Will he say that? 
No, Jesus will say, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you cared for me. World Christians. We're preaching about world Christians. If you're a world Christian, you don't live for me, myself, and I. You live to give. You live to be generous. And God's calling you to step out like never before with extravagant, broken, and poured out uh, giving. Generosity. This generosity isn't just a $5 bill put in the offering plate when the mission, missionary preaches. It's love in action. World Christians pray for the nations. There are men and women that pray for something more than Aunt Sally's post-nasal drip in Iowa. World Christians pray that the darkness would be pushed back and that revival would sweep America from sea to shiny sea. Somebody somewhere has to stand in the gap and pray for America. Somebody somewhere has to pray for the nations. Will you be that one? That's a world Christian. That garners the attention of God. World Christians participate in outreach. Think of the amazing opportunities here at Lakeside for outreach. We have every quarter we have a big give where we bring in the needy that you can be a blessing to. Every Wednesday night we have a team that goes out with the Callahans bringing groceries and bringing furniture to the needy of Macomb County. Every month, uh, every month our missions director Frank Pantolina takes a team to the streets of Detroit and we feed the homeless We call it the bread of life ministry. And it goes on and on. There's missions trips for you to be involved in. There's giving that you can be involved in. Generous, extravagant, out of the norm. i got to step out by faith because this doesn't fit in my budget. I know this is from God. And somehow, someway, God is going to use me to meet my needs and be extravagant with the needs of others. I'm going to adopt a missionary. I'm going to adopt a ministry. I'm going to be a world Christian. I'm going to impact lives thousands of miles away in the name of Jesus. Paul said in Romans 10, Paul said, how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them unless someone sends him? See, world Christians live to be a blessing to others, even people that they won't meet until they get to heaven. Isaiah chapter 58, God says, when you feed the hungry, when you clothe the naked, when you encourage the oppressed, then your life is going to break forth like the dawn. Then your healing is going to quickly come. I'm convinced that many people would experience the miraculous from God if they'd stop focusing on themselves and start focusing on God's heart and a lost and a hurting world. In 1910, and I'm looking at a dear family sitting in a pew right now, that have become very, very precious to me. Mike and Amy. And I see your dear son here this morning. In 1910, Mike and Amy, a girl by the name of Lillian Trasher 
heard the voice of God calling her out of her comfortable home here in the United States to go to Egypt to minister to the lost, hurting orphans of Egypt. Her parents, her parents protested and said, what a waste! You're wasting your life, Lillian! You're throwing your future away. She said, I've heard from God. Her parents would not support her. Her parents would not believe in her. They dropped all financial remuneration in her life. But she knew God was in it. She purchased a one-way ticket, and there in Egypt, she lived in terrible, terrible conditions. She was plagued by homesickness and discouragement. She lived in constant danger. Muslims would spit upon her and in her face. But dear ones, she became mama to thousands of orphans. There she was able to build an orphanage for the glory of God. And thousands of Egyptian children received the love of Jesus with clothes and, and food and hope. On December the 17th, 1961, I remember when it happened, God called her home to glory. And President Nasser of Egypt said that Lillian Trasher was the greatest woman he had ever met. Her life had been broken and poured out as a sweet fragrance of Jesus in an Arab world. Mike and Amy Kerr are here this morning. Wave your hand and their son. Egyptians who have been impacted uh, by the ministry of Lillian Trasher. Just as you saw Sylvan up here, impacted by the giving of Lakeside to world missions and world outreach. Why world Christians? Because there's a spiritual battle that is raging across our planet more real than anything going on in the Middle East or with ISIS. There's a spiritual battle raging, and we're in the Lord's army. We're in the Lord's army, let there be no doubt. Several years ago, one of our Assembly of God ministers was flying coast to coast in a jet airplane. Next to him, a sophisticated career woman sitting there, and as dinner was being served and passed out, she bypassed it and she said, no thank you, I'm fasting. She, he said to her, the minister turned to her and said, oh, you must be a Christian like myself because you're fasting. She said, hardly. I'm fasting for the destruction of Christianity in the United States of America. I'm a witch. And you thought you had a bad flight last time. You see, real Christians realize life's not a playground. It's a battleground. We're fighting a battle against the forces of hell, not for land or riches, but for eternal souls. 
eternal souls. Your prayers, your generous giving, uh, your active participation in local outreach and in world outreach are a direct threat to the enemy of your soul and my soul. But we don't respond in fear. We respond in God-confident faith. How did that minister respond to that witch? He looked at her and said, young lady, there's no sense following a loser. We're on the winning side. Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Greater is he that's within us than he that is within the world. Christian, remember our Lord has never lost a battle. We've read the end of the book. It doesn't end in a whimper. It ends in a roar. We win. We win because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. So if God be for us, who can be against us? We're on the winning side. Why are we called to be world Christians? Because time. Precious, precious, precious time is short. And eternity is forever. A man was on his deathbed. And he whispered to his family members, Come close. Come close. I want to share with you my last wishes. I want you to take my most prized possessions. And I want you to place it on the roof of the house. On the roof of the house, they said. Yes, on the roof of the house. I want to prove that you can take it all with you. A few days later, the man gasped his last and died. And the stuff on the roof of the house, what happened with it? It sat there for days. It sat there for weeks. It sat up there for months. Finally, the wife became so exasperated, she said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Instead of the roof, we should have put it in the basement. He would have got it there. What's the only thing that you'll ever take into eternity? Souls. That's right. Souls. Souls. That's the only thing that you'll take into eternity. People's lives that you have touched. People's lives that you have impacted. People's lives that you have changed and rearranged in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. Then why, why, why in the world are we working our fingers to the bone to be happy and all we're ending up with is bony fingers? Pouring our lives into things that are temporary, transitory, instead of permanent. Being a world Christian is all about permanency. It's all about investment. It's all about making an impact upon our world for Jesus Christ. In John chapter 9 verse 4, we must do the work of Him who sent me, Jesus said. Night is coming when no one can work. Do you realize that in our generation, more prophecies are being fulfilled than any other generation? Do you realize that we have the technology, we're the first generation with the technology to host a one-world government, the first generation to host a one-world economy? Do, do you realize that we are the first generation 
with the ability to annihilate ourselves? We are the generation the prophets and the apostles were talking about. But this is not a time for fear. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, lift up, lift up, lift up your heads for my redemption's drawing nigh. God is about ready to close the books on human history. And for the Christian, the best is yet to come. Time is short. Jesus is coming soon. But eternity is forever. How long does a soul live? How long does a soul live? Forever. Forever in heaven or forever in hell? Just 35 minutes, 35 minutes, just 35 minutes before the Titanic hit that terrible iceberg. History records for us that other ships communicated with the communications officer. Iceberg ahead. Slow down. Be careful. Warn the captain. But instead of relaying the warning to the captain, what did the ship's communications officer reply with? It's written down for all history. Shut up! Shut up! I'm too busy! And then disaster struck 35 minutes later. I do not want to be crass. I do not want to be sounding condemning. But there are people that sit in the pews Sunday after Sunday when preachers and pastors pour their heart out for them to be world Christians, to alleviate the suffering, the hunger, the hurt of millions around the world, and most of all, to send them Jesus in the good news of the gospel. And yet they're sitting there saying, Shut up! Shut up! I'm too busy! Jonas, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Let it not be said here of Lakeside Assembly of God. Let it be said that Lakeside Assembly of God has the spirit of Mary. (laughs) Extravagant, broken, poured out love. Poured out love. Passionate love that catches the attention of God. We're called to be world Christians because our world is heading for the most and the worst disaster of all time in eternity. Highway to hell. Unless we redirect it. Our knowledge makes us responsible. We know what's ahead. Our knowledge makes us responsible as world Christians. Why be a world Christian? Because sacrificing for missions is the greatest act of love you could ever show someone. You could ever show someone. This weekend, the atmosphere of my home has been permeated with estrogen. I took my two daughters out on a date Thursday night was with them, and my daughter Julie whispered to me, she said, did you know, did you know that mom's sisters are spending the weekend at the house? And I said, no. She said, when we get home, they're going to be there. I said, okay. And uh, arrived home, and 
Uh, her sisters, my dear sister-in-laws, spent the, the weekend. So I had Linda, I had Debbie, I had Becky, I had Julie and Jenny, and then, of course, Julie brought the two baby girls, my granddaughters. I mean, it was girl city. And what do girls watch on TV? What is it, the Lifetime Channel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and one chick flick after another. Huh? Huh? Isn't it amazing? We, 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 can, we can cry when we see a sad movie on TV. We cry when our son's soccer team loses. We cry when a monkey at the Detroit Zoo dies. When was the last time you wept for a lost soul? When was the last time you agonized in prayer? over what's happening to our nation. When was the last time you cried over a lost world? My Bible, your Bible says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And he cries right now with nail-scarred hands lifted up as he intercedes for you and I and for a lost world. There's coming a day in heaven, mark my words, when the rewards will be passed out. The rewards will be given to the faithful, and far greater than any crown of glory will be those that will come to you from the north and the south, people that you've never met from the east and from the west, and they're going to come up to you, and they're going to practically tackle you, and they're going to tell you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you're going to say, who are you? Why are you doing this? You gave to missions. You prayed for a missionary. You supported world outreach. You got involved. You went on a missions trip. You were involved in a big give. You were a world Christian. And I am a life that has been saved because of you. Sir, ma'am, young person, there's nothing greater. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing greater. I've experienced a small measure of that where I have traveled and people have come up to me. We were in Florida and all of a sudden this gal came and probably tackled me. You know who she was? Somebody I pastored 26 years ago. I married Elizabeth May, Bob and Joanne May's daughter. She's married with four sons, and they're all serving God. And she said, thank you, thank you, thank you, Pastor Christ. That's what people will do in heaven. And even greater will be when our Lord wraps his arms around you. Welcome home, my child. Well done, thou good and faithful world Christian. Lastly, why be a world Christian? Because it works. Because it works. Because it works. I take you back to 1922. And I share this in closing for those of you that are brand new in the church. 1922, a missionary was knocking on doors, going house to house. 
And he did not realize that the house he had come to was a house riddled with abuse, with sin, wickedness. It was lost. The young 17-year-old young man that opened the door, a head full of red hair, was known as the Red Devil. Not just because of his red hair, but because of his short fuse, his terrible, raging temper. But the day that Red Devil opened the door to that missionary was the day he opened the door of his heart to Jesus as the missionary led him to the Lord. Red Devil, in turn through the process of time, was able to lead his brothers and sisters to Jesus, his mother and father to Jesus. Red Devil became an ordained Assemblies of God pastor. He had four children, three boys and a daughter. All three children, two boys and a daughter, entered the ministry. One became a pastor. The daughter became a pastor's wife. The son, one son became a missionary. They in turn had children. Red Devil now had ten grandchildren. All of them serving God. The three that had entered the ministry established churches, discipled lives, supported missionaries. Five, five out of the ten grandchildren entered the full-time ministry, established churches, discipled lives, supported missionaries around the world. Today, today, there are 18 great-grandchildren. All of them are serving God, full of the Holy Spirit. Five of them have entered the full-time ministry, established churches, discipled lives, and supported missions and missionaries around the world. When I get to heaven, my first stop, of course, will be Jesus. But my second stop will be that missionary. Because Red Devil was my grandpa. I'm preaching to you here this morning because Red Devil Harvey Christ gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. I'm here today preaching to you. I've pastored this church because one missionary, one man, decided to be a world Christian and go knock on doors and lead people to Jesus Christ. Don't tell me that you have just been born and birthed to do common things, ordinary things. God is not limited by your ability. He's limited by your availability. Will you present yourself to Him today? Broken. Poured out. Here am I. Send me. Whatever your will is, I want to do it. Here am I. Send me. I want to be 
a world Christian. Bow your heads with me, Father, in the name of Jesus. We are all recipients, one way or another, from someone, somebody that shared the gospel. Oh God, oh God, help us to be world Christians. Help us, Lord, to lead others to Jesus. To see a lost world impacted, perfumed by our life. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning. Perhaps you are here today and you're like Jonah. You're running from God. You're running from God. You're running from God. And this morning, right now, this is your opportunity to stop the running and say yes to Jesus. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. There's no looking around in the sacredness of this moment. I'm prepared to pray a prayer. A prayer of salvation. If you would like to be included in this prayer that will change your life and open the door of your heart to Jesus and give you a home in heaven. If you would like to be included in this prayer as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, lift up your hand right now. Just lift up your hand right now. God bless you. I've been praying for you as I've been preaching. God bless you. I see that hand in the back. God bless you. How many more? Lift it up high so that I can see it. God bless you. Yes. Yes. Up on the balcony. God bless you. God bless you. How many more this morning? Yes. Just keep those hands lifted up right now and pray this prayer with me. In fact, I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud. And for you that have your hands lifted up, own this prayer. Make it personal. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now, just as I am. I confess I'm a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for changing me, for cleansing me. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. I receive this as I believe it. Amen. 